bear with me a little bit here this morning, I hope, as uh, we're going to read here in Acts chapter number 2. It says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were there dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. And when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together, and they were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all of these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes, Elamites, and the dwellers in Mesopotamia, and in Judea, and Cappadocia, and Pontus, and Asia, and Phrygia, and Pamphylia, and Egypt, and the parts of Libya, about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these men are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it is about the third hour of the day. It's about nine o'clock in the morning. You say this is an unreasonable thing, that you'd have all of these group of people drunk at nine o'clock in the morning. This huge number of people. He said, but this in 16, he says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it came to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit, pour, excuse me, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, and blood and fire and vapor of smoke. Then shall the sun be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by, mir by miracles and wonders and signs which, did, which God did by him in the midst of you, as yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that it should be holden of him. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh rests in hope. This is all coming from the book of Psalms, by the way. Verse number 26, verse 27. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made me to know the, full, the ways of life. 
thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Then he goes back to his message in verse 29 and says, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that is, he both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins according to the flesh he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear, that is the Holy Ghost. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And all God's people say to that what? Amen. Verse 38. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children, to all that are far off, even as many as call upon, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Isn't it interesting that they on crucifixion day, said to Pilate, let his blood be upon us and our children. Let his blood be upon us and our children. What a terrible curse. And God did fulfill that oath that they swore. And in 70 AD, he brought a great ravage and rampage to the city of Jerusalem and Killed nearly everybody there and destroyed the whole entire city. But God in his great grace says to them in verse 39. That though they had swore by an oath that they would have the blood of Christ upon them and their children. Yet by God's grace he says for this is promises unto you and to your children. Praise God he is a gracious God. And with many other words did he testify and exhort saying save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house to eat their meat with, singleness, with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the word of God. We're thankful that, Lord, we have a copy of it to read and to look at. Not just I have a copy, but, Lord, everybody that wants one can have one in their lap today. Even if they didn't bring it today, there's one in their pew in front of them. And Lord, there's more in the back if we needed more. God, thank you for the word of God. And that, Lord, it still exists. It's preserved, inspired, and perfect. Thank you that, Lord, you've given it to us to learn and to be instructed and to be saved. We pray today that, Lord, we would be instructed from it by this most wonderful and glorious event that happened 
nearly 2,000 years ago of Pentecost. We thank you, Lord, for this historical event. For without it, Lord, where would we be today? We would be nowhere. We would be nowhere. We'd still be sitting in upper rooms, if you will, Lord, scared and lonely and depressed. But God, because of your Holy Spirit that has empowered your church, Father, we've been able to see great and mighty and wonderful things accomplished through you and you alone. May God, you continue your work in our church, in Jesus' name, amen. Now here today before us in Acts chapter number two, and I thank you for being so patient and just reading the whole chapter. And I think it was important that we did that. I won't obviously be going digressing through every single verse this morning. That would take us way too long. This is a sermon that this, this whole entire chapter would take us many sermons to look at. But I want us to see an overview today of just what this whole entire chapter means for us. And the message I have today for you is this, is used of God. Used of God. And if we're going to be effectively used by God Almighty, then we must, we must have the Holy Spirit's filling and work in our life. Without it, we are scared, lonely, and depressed. We are upset, we are sinful, and we just cannot simply accomplish the work that God has called for us to do as a church. Now in front of us, we do have in Acts chapter 2, I think probably the greatest event in the local New Testament church. It is the day of Pentecost. It is the day in which this church we find in Acts chapter 2 really gets started. It gets off the ground. And I don't care. I'm not really a stickler on this, but some people want to say the church started whenever Jesus first called his disciples out. Maybe some like to say it's in Matthew chapter number 18 when he first uses the word church. Uh, some people like to say it's here in Acts chapter number 2. Ecclesia just simply means a called out assembly. So in a technical sense, I guess whenever Jesus called out his first disciples, I guess that was the first church. They were called out. But nobody, nobody, no matter what time period you put the church on a stamp, on a, on a timeline, nobody can deny the fact that the church of the living God, when Jesus, with, without Jesus Christ being present in his presence, did not fully become capable, able, and effective until this chapter here in Acts chapter number 2. I mean, Acts chapter 2 changed everything about the local New Testament church. Every single thing. It did a work that nobody else could possibly do. And, over two, and nearly 2,000 years later, we're still going back to this historical event. Always know this, that the Bible is built upon historical, real facts. We are not in this some kind of osmosis dream. We're not in this some kind of uh, uh, unreal reality. We're not talking about fairy tales. We're not talking about uh, made-up stuff. We're not talking about feel-good stories or anything like that. The Word of God is built completely and totally upon real events that happened in history that God did and changed the course of human history going all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1, right? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It's always God moving. It's always God. It's history, his story. And it's God's story, and that's what we always need to see it as. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, does this day have any significance for us today? Does it have any significance for us right this moment? Do we have any concern for this day 
anymore. And I'm of the very strong opinion, I think you've already concluded, that I believe we should be. And I can prove just simply by noticing a couple of things uh, in our verses here this morning that before Pentecost, the church that we know of in the upper room were confused. Look back to Acts chapter number 1 and you see where they're at. They're hiding. They're not going out yet. It says in chapter number 1 and verse number 4, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. Jesus even told them, don't leave, you stay there. They're there in that room. Look, at back, look back to Matthew chapter number 28. Where are the disciples after the resurrection? Where are they at? They're in another room. Locked doors. Jesus has to walk through the doors in order to uh, make contact with them. The thing about those disciples on the road to Emmaus, what are they talking about? They're confused, they're lonely, they're scared, they don't understand what has happened. The church without the Holy Spirit of God is disappointed, dejected, sad, lonely, depressed, sinful, scared, afraid, denying, and doubtful. One of the most interesting passages that I've ran across in the, in the Gospels is this, is Matthew 28, 17. You all know Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20 perhaps. And where Jesus speaks there and he says that all power is given unto me. And, uh, and he lets them know that you should go into all the nations and preach the gospel. Uh, and uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and so on and things like that. But do you know what Matthew 28, 17 says? It says that when the people saw him resurrected. Think about this. People saw him resurrected from the dead. They were looking at the resurrected Christ. And it says in Matthew 28 and 17. And when they saw him. They worshipped him, but some doubted. Even looking at the resurrected Lord, some still doubted. Some were still in doubt. Then read your Bibles and see what happens after the Holy Ghost falls upon these people. What happens to Peter? What was Peter doing before the resurrection, before at the crucifixion? He was cursing. He was denying. I mean, think about it even in his ministry. He was always opening his mouth. And getting and sticking his foot in his mouth, right? He had foot and mouth disease, right? As they say. He had problems with his mouth. He, had, he was not able. But here in Acts chapter number 2, he had no problems with his mouth. I mean, he said the exact words that needed to be said by the Holy Spirit of God. These men are empowered. They're courageous. They're hopeful. They're rejoicing. They're praising. They're singing. They're fearless. And they're happy. They're the exact opposite because of the Holy Spirit. And then Peter preaches this wonderful message in Acts chapter number 2. And then what happens is that 3,000 souls are saved and added to the church. And God continues to add people to the church such as should be saved. And the difference is this. Is that before Acts chapter number 2, you have the Holy Spirit not falling upon these men. Then in Acts chapter number 2, you have the difference maker which is the Holy Spirit of God. And in Baptist churches, sometimes we get away from the Holy Spirit of God, and we ought not to. He is just as much as part of the Trinity as the Father and the Son. And no church should neglect either, all three of them. They are equally all important. And they must be spoken of, and they must be understood. And they must, in our finite minds, try to understand what they are and what they are to us and how they help us. 
These men began to preach the word of God. They began to preach with the Holy Spirit's power and with his feeling. And what happens is that people are saved. And folks, let's always realize this, that according to John chapter number 16, that the Spirit of God's one of his primary tasks, the Spirit of God's primary task while he's upon this earth is to see people get saved. That's his primary task. His primary task is to convince people of their sin of righteousness and of judgment in order that they may be saved. But as long as these men are in their upper room, as long as these ladies in these 120 are in their upper rooms, doors locked, hiding, then you know what? You have no church. The church would have ended in Acts chapter number 1 without the Holy Spirit of God, my friend. It, wouldn't have, it would have ceased to exist. And I am glad that even at times whenever it seems like the church is about to cease to exist, that there are times in church history, and you can point them out, they're very clear to see that the Holy Spirit of God, almost in an Acts chapter 2 number one way, falls again upon the church, the local assembly, and God revives his church, and many are converted, maybe thousands are converted, and then literally more churches are added, and things begin to happen. I'm not saying that God needs to send another Pentecost, but what I am saying is this, is that at any time, God in his great grace and his mercy, can fall upon a local congregation and decide to work inside of us and do a great and marvelous work. Let us never deny that. I get tired of churches and tired of, I've heard some people say sometimes that, oh, we don't need another Pentecost. My praise God, I'd love to have another Pentecost, amen? I'd love for the Spirit of God to fall afresh upon us and see a great revival of souls and see a great revival of hearts and see a great revival within us. But here's the problem with that is that you can't plan that, schedule that, or predict that. You can't do that. It's the Holy Spirit of God working in a marvelous way. But these men and women, they begin to preach the word of God. They begin to give out the word, and God does an amazing thing. Isn't it amazing through God's Holy Spirit, through God's Holy Spirit, that what man and women have tried to do for 100 years, Is that God could accomplish in one day. Am I not right on that? That God through his Holy Spirit could accomplish in just a couple of weeks, if you will, what men and women have tried to accomplish in a hundred years. We can only explain that by God and his Holy Spirit. And I want to show you today, without his Holy Spirit, church, that will most likely be like this early church. Confused. Disappointed, dejected, sad, lonely, depressed, scared, afraid, denying, and doubtful. Pentecost shows us that we all must stand in need of the power of the Holy Spirit to be an effective local New Testament church. That's even proven in our Old Testaments. In the Old Testament, you go back to Exodus chapter number 35 and verse number 21. You see this, and they came together, everyone whose heart was stirred within them, and everyone whom his spirit made willing. They brought the Lord's offering to the work to the tabernacle for all his service and for the holy garments. Zechariah 4, 6 tells us plainly this, that then he answered and said unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by what? But by my spirit saith the Lord. In Judges chapter 6 and verse number 34, Gideon was a man that was afraid 
He was useless, it seems like. He's hiding from the Midianites, but God comes upon him with the Spirit of God, and it says, but the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and Abiezer was gathered after him. And we know what happens with the life of Gideon. Him and 300 other soldiers blow trumpets, they sound sounds, they strike pots, they hold up lanterns, and they defeat a whole host of Midianites by whom? The Spirit of the living God. It's the Spirit of the living God working in people's hearts and lives. Luke 1.35 tells us that the angel answered and said, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, Mary. The, the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Jesus promised his disciples, but ye shall receive power. After that, what? The Holy Ghost has come upon you. Romans 15.19 says, Through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, I preach the gospel of Christ. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. And in Romans 14, 17, the Bible says, For the kingdom of God is not in meat and in drink, but in righteousness and peace and joy, and let us not forget, and also in the Holy Ghost. Then how can you and I be effectually used of God? How are you and I going to be used of the Lord? Where does it all begin? Well, I have just two points for you, and i got five minutes. All right? got to be saved. Amen? you got to be saved. If you're not saved, you can just might as well forget about you being used of the Holy Spirit of God in this effectual way in which he wants to use us. This is the primary work of the Holy Spirit of God is to save people. You notice that these people were already saved. These people in Acts chapter number 1 and Acts chapter number 2, they're already Christians. They're already believers. In fact, if you go back to John chapter 20 and verse number 22, the Bible says that Jesus, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and he said unto them, receive you the Holy Ghost. So these people had already received the Holy Spirit of God. They were saved. They were believers in Christ Jesus. What is the difference? The difference is that the Holy Spirit of God fell upon them in this unique and, un and observable historical way here. But they were saved people. Jesus even told us in John chapter number 16 that his Holy Spirit was there to convince or to convict, or you might even say to persuade the world that they are sinners, that they lack righteousness, and that certain judgment is coming upon all the world. That's why the Holy Spirit of God was sent to us. That's his primary work. Just look at Peter's message. I read it to you already, but go back to verses number 36 and 37. He looks at them and he says, Therefore let all the Israel know of assuredly that God hath made this same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now then when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. Why were they pricked in their heart? You know what? That is a great, that is a great analogy for the Holy Spirit of God. It's a great analogy for conviction. For conviction. Have you ever been in a service and then all of a sudden it felt like something just kind of pricked you right in your heart? I mean, just something kind of slammed up against you right there? Maybe you can remember when you got saved. And I've talked to some people. I've known some people that, I mean, they, 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 have you ever heard some people, they grab the back of the pew. I mean, they just, they, 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 they can feel it in their hearts. They know something is happening. They know God is working in them. They can't explain it exactly what is happening. But they're pricked in their hearts. It's the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God working in their hearts, trying to convince them and persuade them they're sinners, they lack righteousness, and they're the certain judgment of God is going to fall upon them if they don't believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. 
And so they say to him, they say, the Peter looks at, they look at Peter and to the rest of the apostles and they say, men and brethren, what shall we do? What, what are we going to do about this? This is the Spirit's working upon their heart through Peter to these people. But you can never be effectively useful in the kingdom of God unless you're first saved from your sins. These people, by God's Holy Spirit, began to realize that they are sinners. And this has really struck me this week as I meditated upon this. Have you realized that you're a sinner? Now, what do you mean by that? I mean this. I mean, do you realize that you have offended a holy God? You've offended God. Your sin, your life, you have offended the Lord. How have you offended God? You've broke God's law. You've broken his law. Jesus, or Peter even looks at these people and he says, you have crucified the Lord in Christ. Now, how is that possible? We're talking about people that are here seven weeks later. Some of these are coming to Jerusalem for the first time. Maybe some of them are hearing about this crucifixion event for the very first time. Some of these men are Arabians. Some of them are Cretes. Some of them are uh, from Phrygia and from Pamphylia. Some of them are from Egypt. And yet Peter looks out across the crowd of all of them and he says, you have crucified the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? I thought the Romans crucified him. No. We all, by our sin, have crucified Christ. And we've offended God and we've, and we've broken his commandments. No, all of us have lied. All of us have stole. All of us have cheated. All of us have done something. Can you honestly say to yourself right now, this morning, I, I have always, and this is the number one commandment we all fail in, I have always, with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, all my life, I have always loved God. Always. With all my strength, with all my soul, with all my mind, I have always done that. And anybody that will tell you they have, they're lying to you and they're lying to themselves. Because we all fall short in that matter. And I can prove it. Because you haven't loved your neighbor as yourself either. We all haven't loved our neighbor. We haven't all treated our spouse as they should be treated. We haven't all treated our friends like they should be treated. We all haven't treated our parents like they should be treated. We haven't treated people like we would want to be treated. But if you can sit here today and you can truly say, God, Holy Spirit has convicted me of my sin and I realize that I have no righteousness within myself and that I have called upon God to save me, then my friend, you are a child of God. And you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. And he can be you, he can use you. But if you're not, then I don't care if you build hospitals in the deepest jungles of Africa. I don't care if you try to help out the war-torn nation of Myanmar. I don't care if you try to establish medical relief in the country of Colombia or try to help build wells in the poorest country of Sudan. None of that matters without Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Do you know these things? Are you aware of these things? Are you, are you aware that you are a sinner and that you need Christ to save you? That it's not your denomination, your association, your family, your friends, none of those things save you? It's not your school. Amen? Man, how many times have people think that well, I went to this school or I grew up in this family or I had this denomination or I've heard these sermons or I've blah, 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 all of these things. Or I bring a little box. 
What a great illustration. I, might, I, I would think that would be a great message to preach on. What, what, what box are you trying to bring to God? You know what? There's a lot of people trying to bring different boxes to God. Some are bringing ashes. But everybody's got a little box they're bringing. You know what? I'm going on the coattails of Jesus. That's how I'm getting into heaven. I just want to be like that lady that said, if I could just but touch the hem of his garment, then I shall be whole. I, I, I mean, I'm just, going on, I'm just going in on the coattails, my friend. It's just all of him. It's all of him. It's not of me. It's not of us. It's all of Christ. You must be saved. That is the only way to be effectively used by the Spirit of God. But secondly, and it's a simple point, is you must be surrendered. You must be surrendered. Now, these men and women, no doubt about it, they were scared, lonely, depressed, but they were surrendered to God. They did exactly what God told them to do. He said, wait in Jerusalem and do as I've told you to do, and the Holy Spirit of God will come upon you. And that's exactly what they did. They surrendered to God. They didn't disperse. They didn't get away from one another. In fact, there's more people in the room than there was at the resurrection. And he says, stay there. And they stayed there until God's Holy Spirit came upon them. They were surrendered to God. And everyone that surrenders their will to Jesus Christ and waits on him can, I believe, be endued from power on high and be filled with the Spirit of God and be controlled by him, be helped by him, and be used by him. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, what? A living sacrifice, Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and what? Perfect will of God. The renewing of the mind. How does that happen? The Holy Spirit of God. He works and surrenders hearts. It's simply time for Christians to stop playing patty cake with God. And to be served God and surrendered to God. Too many times we walk around confused and sad and lonely and fearful and depressed and, 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 and afraid and denying and doubtful. And it's time that we give up to God and allow the Holy Spirit of God to live out through us so that the power of God can rest upon us. You say, how do I do that? Well, in one sense, as I've already alluded to earlier, is this, is that we ought to, I believe one of the things that you ought to do every single time you come to church is that you ought to perhaps be expecting that at any moment, at any time, at any church service, the Holy Spirit of God may in His great sovereignty and grace fall down upon us and come upon us. You say, are we all going to start speaking in tongues? Well, you know what tongues are, I hope. I've taught this many times, but they are real physical languages. Now, if I started speaking Spanish and somebody started speaking French and somebody started speaking, okay, great, that sounds, you know, perfect. I'm not going to go against God, amen? But here's the thing is that we should always at least be anticipating, if not praying, for God to send another Holy Spirit of God revival upon us. We ought to be praying that. But, in another sense, we can all, as believers, live a Spirit-filled Christian life. The Bible says to be led of the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit of God. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. 
Walk in the Spirit, and thou shalt not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. They that are led of the Spirit are the children of God, the sons of God. Are you led? Are you walking? Are you filled? I feel like many times, I feel like a lot of times Christians are like a Guyanese man at a gas station. You say, I have no idea what that analogy means whatsoever. I didn't either until I was in Guyana. When I was in Guyana, you drive around, and you drive around maybe, I don't know, for 30 minutes, an hour, then all of a sudden you pull into a gas station. First time, it's not a big deal. You know, we're getting gas. Sounds good. You get it some gas, you go on. Drive around for about another hour, pull into another gas station, get some gas, go on. I finally asked, I said, what's going on here? You know what I mean? They said, well, in Guyana, we don't fill up the gas tank, you know. We just kind of put a little bit in and kind of drive around as much as we need. And we, we just kind of just, he said, he said, sometimes I put gas in my tank every single day. Well, I think every single day, you know. I mean, come on, man, just fill the thing up and let's go. Let's get out of here. Well, I guess when gas is $4.75 a gallon, I guess you don't really want to do that too. But I feel like a lot of Christians are like that. I mean, we're just kind of riding around just kind of half full, maybe a quarter, Maybe on fumes a little bit, right, aren't we? I mean, just kind of just just getting around the best that we can. We're half full. Or you might even say some of us are right around half cocked. I mean, uh, I mean we're, just, we're ready to fight. We're ready to get something. We're ready to get after somebody. We ought, to, we ought to be filled with the Spirit of God. Too many times we're like, we're like a, you know, it'd be like you and me driving till it says E, now, some of you drive on E all the time. You think, that, you think that E means enough, you know what I mean? But it doesn't. It means empty, okay? All right? When that little orange light comes on, it's time to get some gas, okay? I don't, I'm, about, I'm about to get in trouble. I'm going to keep my mouth shut right here. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. I need some help. But you ride around on E. But can you imagine... You ride around on E, and finally you run out of gas, and you're off in the ditch somewhere. And you're just sitting there. Or you're sitting in the car, and you're still saying, why won't this thing go? <laughs> why won't this thing work? I mean, why, why can't I go somewhere? One time I, was a, I had a motorcycle, and I used to love to ride dirt bikes. And, and, uh, and uh, this one time, I, it was having some mechanical issues, and uh, we got it fixed. Everything was fine. Um, rode it. And then uh, it was doing, doing just great. I, I remember uh, going out the next morning, though, one morning to start it up. And I rode it, started up, and then just shut right off. Started up and just shut right off. Kept, kept shutting off. Finally, it just wouldn't start. I remember we took it to the mechanic said, hey, you just fixed this thing. What's wrong with it? He said, I'll get back with you. And that's the most embarrassing phone call that you can get. Calls up, I say, he said, what's wrong? No gas in the tank. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. You're not going anywhere without gas. Imagine just keep pushing the gas and trying to turn it on and not, and you know what? Sometimes, some of us this morning just need to pick up the gas can and walk back, if you will, down to the Holy Spirit filling station and say, God, I need to be filled. I'm trying to run on fumes here. I'm running on a quarter of a tank. i got to stop doing this. I've got to stop living like this because I want to be used of God. Here's your test. You say, how do I know? How do you respond during trials? What do you do in a trial? When tough times come, what do you do? How do you run to? What do you talk to? Who do you talk to? What's your attitude during that? 
How do you respond when somebody offends you? Do you forgive them or do you get bitter or do you offend them back? How do you treat your spouse? Amen? At 6 o'clock in the morning when she wakes you up and hears a noise outside. I mean, how do you treat, uh, uh, you know, how do you, how do you treat your husband? Do you love him? Do you reverence him? Do you love your wife? Do you treat her with dignity and respect and love? Look at the list in Galatians 17, verses 17 through 25. Do you walk in the flesh? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, hatred, variance, witchcraft, idolatry, covetousness. Do you walk in those things? Or do you walk in love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and so on? The fruit of the Spirit. Test yourself. Where are you at with God? Can I be effectually used of God? Yes, you can be if you're saved and you're surrendered. Surrender over Him. Ask God, just like our song sang this morning, melt me, mold me, fill me, use me. That's always the order. Because we're too full of self and pride. And we need to be melted down to nothing. And then we need God Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. We need God to build us back up. We need to be transformed. Do you know what that word is? That is the word you get in your biology class, metamorphosis. How many of you remember biology? Metamorphosis. From a caterpillar to a butterfly, something completely and totally different. We, through the Holy Spirit... Is that not what the church of the living God experienced on Acts, in Acts chapter number 2, from Acts 1 to Acts chapter 2? Did they not experience a metamorphosis? Completely and totally different than they were? Fearful, scared, lonely, depressed, dejected, sad? The fearless, happy. Singing and praising God, having accord with one another, being in accord with one another in unity. Are you saved? Are you surrendered? Do you want to be effectively used by the Holy Spirit of God in your church, in your home, and in your community? God can use you, and He wants to use us, I believe. Would to God that He would send His Holy Spirit as He did of days of old, but if He does not, and if He chooses not to do so, then let us all realize that our believers in Christ Jesus, that our objective is to be surrendered over to his will. It'd be foolish for us today on this historical day of Pentecost to walk out of here and not consider that every single one of us could use more and could be filled more with the Holy Spirit of God. You say, how do I get there, preacher? Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. James 4, 5 through 10. Believer, humble yourself before God. Humble yourself. He will lift you up. Father, we're thankful for what you're